welcome to episode number two of Feedback, which is a brand new show on Unwind Media. I'm Rob Attrell, and in this episode, I'll be sitting down with my co-hosts, Damien and BL, to talk a little bit about the songwriting process. If we're lucky, I'll also be able to convince them to record a couple more acoustic songs this week. How's that sound, guys? Wicked. Well, yeah. I don't think we'll we see what much. happens. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a, a lot of coaxing to, uh, to play some songs. Love but. playing. I love playing. Yeah. Beale's got a guitar. It's, it's like pretty it's, much certain. It's, it's, it's happening. happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I was really curious, and I think a lot of people who aren't necessarily artists, especially musicians, uh, get like really wonder what goes into the process of actually writing songs. And I'm sure you guys, when you first got started, you sort of looked into it and maybe tried to find how, how other musicians write songs. So what's the first thing people should know about trying to just write music, like write a song? It's kind of a broad question. What's one of the first things you have to, like if you're, if you've written songs, what's the first thing that happens when like when a song gets born? Well, I think the first thing to consider is that there is no real formula that you should follow um, because songs that we've written uh, have been born out of different situations. Usually it's either chord progression that's thought up um, or the lyrics come first, kind of like a poem or just even one, for me at least, it's happened with just even one phrase, just one line sets off an entire like domino effect that will result in a song. Um, so there's no, there's, there's really no, uh, no formula to it for me, at least like it just, it just happens out of the blue and, uh, it could start in different ways. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I think Damien's absolutely right. I mean, it could be a chord progression. It could be a melody, but for me, that approach is very much the technical approach. If I can use that word, if I were to describe a process in which the outcome is the best, it's where we're dealing with emotional content. And for myself, those are experiences. Those are my observations about uh, things I've experienced in life and things like this. And I liken it to a photographer taking a picture or a, or a painter painting a picture. You know, they might see a beautiful sunset they don't want to capture. I feel like you can use the tools that are available to you to capture that moment or capture that feeling. And I feel like if my song was able to capture that with the tools that I have, be it melodies and things like that, I've done something right. And at the end of the day, if that song conveys that original emotional content and they connect with it, for me, that's the most rewarding. Um, so I think in the like sort of a more ethereal sort of approach is like that, where there's something that I want to tell or convey emotionally, and I'm using tools that I can you know, describe that with to capture that moment. Ultimately, they're tools because, I mean, that feeling is something that is very hard to describe in either words or, 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 or in a song, but I'm trying to capture that so that you're understanding where I'm coming from. I think BL, I think in my experience, <clears throat> you seem to be more of a uh, conceptual songwriter and that you have this concept. I mean, when, when you came with age, the age I'm in, you were talking about, you know, uh, this feeling of, of, um, 
fear almost and almost regret as well Mm -hmm. that you haven't accomplished everything you might have set out to do and how much time do you have left to sort of make good on your dreams. And, and then when you came forward with mermaid, that was a personal experience and we kind of set it to a theme of a mythological creature. And I think mermaid is one of our most, um, our, one of our easiest songs that our audience can connect to. It's a very emotional song and a very deep and in some ways even dark song that people seem to really connect with. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you think about the fact that we've written a song about a mermaid, um, some might think that that's... Quite comical. Yeah. Very pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. 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 And cartoonish, but it's actually quite a deep and, and, and dark song. And I think people will get to understand what it's really about which is being sucked into a relationship that, you know, is terrible for you, but still wanting more and still holding on to that hope. But this feeling that you're drowning and grasping right. and anything. So there's like the whole wheat brown bread sort of healthy, sort of not healthy, but um, uh, deeper meaning songs. But then yeah. you've got the really fun ones. Yeah. Like, they're like, they're like pop soda yeah, pop. Sure. They're yeah. sugary. They're fun, easy to play. Yeah. People tend to like to dance to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and their emotional content may not be as deep, but they're still rewarding in the sense of it's entertaining. Yeah. You yeah. know, and we want to have a, like a yeah. spectrum of different types. Because some songs, some songs that we've, that we play, some originals that we play are, they, of course, at least for me, when I'm writing songs, I try and have songs mean something still. Um, but uh, sometimes I write consciously with, with this goal in mind of having the audience move or tap their feet or sing along and participate or something like that. Like it's just, it's, it's almost like, um, uh, um, what's that band that sings the Lumineers, the Lumineers, um, fantastic folk band. And they write, they wrote one of their biggest songs. Oh, Hey, um, because they were playing, in these bars where people weren't really listening to them, probably based on the music that they yeah. were singing. And then they wrote that song to incorporate the audience. And to like wake them up. They were saying yeah. like, they literally like just hit their instruments. Like there's a lot of loud bangs. In yeah. That song yeah. Too. yeah. So they, they wrote that and, and then that song helped them skyrocket to where they are now. But some songs, some songs come out of the uh, necessity to have something to wake the crowd up or but some songs come from personal experience. Some songs come from nothing at all. And, and it's, it's true. Like it, it, you'll just, at one side, once I wrote the first song that I wrote um, with Sons of Pluto, which was the storm, um, the floodgates kind of opened and now I'm hearing songs all over the place. Like I'm constantly bombarded with like right. ideas for songs and inspired. Yeah. 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 And uh, some catch on and some don't. And it's weird because songs, songwriting is fleeting. Like, like you might have this fantastic idea. And if you don't write it down, if you don't write the chord progression down, then it might be oh, gone. Totally. Like, I think me and Damon have a very same approach. He has this little book where he's writing down different words and stuff. Yeah. I actually have a stack of post-its at work that I then transcribe onto my lyrics yeah. collection, like a bank. And I think we both do that where yeah. it's like a line or a sentiment or a chord progression. And I have actually one, like in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, sometimes I pick up my guitar and I have to write that riff out yeah. and capture that somewhere on yeah. my computer. So I have a collection of riffs 
and a collection of phrases. And then Damien has the same. And I think when we write, we that's another approach that we take where we try to blend some right. of those like yeah. puzzle pieces to, to make yeah. something. I mean, it, it's happened before. Um, the process has been before that BL will bring a guitar riff or chord progression and then explain to me what his concept is. And then I'll try and write it out. It's very much like storytelling or like writing a novel. Like you have yeah. this idea and then you try and at least for me, when I'm writing a song, I try and make it make sense, like have it have a beginning, middle and end um, so that people can follow it uh, easily. Um, but he'll, he'll do that or, or I'm not, I'm not the, the best guitarist. So I hear this riff and I don't know if it's possible. I don't right. know. So I'll bring it to BL and see if he can do it. And, you know, I, he said that I've stretched his, uh, his guitar playing abilities <laughs> from time to time, but, you know, but, but we make it work, but yeah, it's, it's just, I think the first thing people should know is that it's not formulaic and there's no one way that it happens and once once you write your first song it might be that you just you start you never stop writing no like, and, and that it just keeps coming to you yeah and another way i don't think we really talked about were homages because the people that are involved in this kind of process that are in the band right we're all influenced by different things so if you know, you grew up on, say, funk or R&B and stuff, you might want to write an R&B and funk song. And that's how Retro Love kind of came to be, too. And there's like, uh, we're going to talk this, about this a little bit later, about the funk revival. But yeah. it's about kind of emulating what you think is really fun to play, right? And for me, funk is fantastic. You get the wah-wah pedal going. It's about scratching in the 16th notes. And that's just fun and different. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to be a very well-rounded musician, I think, should be able to kind of tackle different styles mm-hmm. and sometimes you know that's an homage to something that's kind of deep in our heads you know right so. i suppose too for some songs it was like yeah i want to i want to write a motown song right or a, so, or a blues song. Sun song or a mumford and sun song or a, sun song. Yeah. Song, or mm-hmm. a blues song like especially when we were first starting out with writing i wanted to see i wanted to test myself as a songwriter and see what kind of songs i could write and so, yeah, our songs, our sets are somewhat diverse um, because our earlier songs are diverse. Like we have a folk song, we have a funk song, we have a Motown song, we have a blues song. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones, which are sort of like alternative uh, rock um, with some blues, have now started to have their own sort of identity. But there are still a few songs or like several songs that kind of like stand alone individually as yeah. their own um, sub genres within our genre. And it's really interesting how you can take the same exact instruments and make different styles and different genres with them. Yeah. Same instruments. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally different. Totally yeah, like, different. It's the way you play them. Oh yeah. Like mermaid song. I've always imagined like a Spanish sort of flamenco version of it. You know, that maybe we can play one day, but I mean, you can take any of our songs and turn it into a different genre, which is part of the fun too, I think. Yeah. Uh, the reimagining of a song. So, mm-hmm. right. Do you guys ever sit down and, I mean, first of all, do you ever sit down and plan to write either individually or as a group? And then when you do write, like, is that process successful or is it sort of, do you take the ideas and then turn them into songs or do you, can you sit down and, and sort of try to let ideas flow? 
we've done it in the past where we're just kind of warming up for rehearsal or, you know, rehearsal somewhat over or we're kind of like, it's kind of dying down and it's getting late and we're just kind of just um, playing around. And, and we've, we've written beginnings of songs from, I don't think, I don't know if we've had, if any of our current songs have been that way, but we've written beginnings. Oh, um, uh, black hearted lover was you just trying out this. We were just kind of just like playing around and, and BL just tried this blues riff, which I thought was really, really cool. And then I think you probably forgot about it. And then I like, and I came back to you like months ago, like I, ha- I hadn't forgotten that riff. Right. And month and, and I was like, I want to try this and I want to try something. And I went and I kind of fleshed out the whole song um, based on this riff that Bial had started and I think forgot about since. Right. Um, and we've, yeah, we've had stuff where there's a song that has been in the works for a long time that we haven't fleshed out. Um, that was just kind of like just playing around. But I think generally the process is that the concept comes to the individual first and they try and figure it out and try and make it make sense for, um, the other people in the band and then bring it to them um, and then see if we can explain how we, the arrangement and uh, the chord progressions and things and the overall concept, and then see if it translates well then. And sometimes that's challenging. Like I've brought songs to the band that, um, that I, I can hear what I want in my head, but I just cannot get it out. Like I cannot explain it, right. um, which is a very frustrating feeling but yeah I we mean, don't there's a happy medium right because you want to be able to present your idea that's cohesive enough that people can hang their hat on it and put their kind of interpretation on it but i personally don't like to bring songs that are completely done because sure. then people can't put their own kind of twist on it yeah and so, so there's a happy medium and we we've found that i think in the last couple of songs where when songs have been presented we can more or less like work with it. I think we yeah. found our stride, I think in that way, but yeah, but it's, it, I don't think any of the songs have been completely from the ground up done, uh, and, and conceived from with everybody there and like everybody contributing to it from the, from its infancy. Right. I think it's, it's it takes always, an idea from one person. Yeah. And, and then into the group. Yeah. And then everybody kind of puts their interpretation. So, um, even through time, the songs change. Absolutely. Yeah. The storm is one, because it's, storm. it was like our, earlier ones. one of the first ones. The storm has changed, um, quite a bit. We tried to make it a little bit more rock centered and, uh, and kind of fit in with the other songs that we, that we do. Um, so yeah, songs evolve for sure. Do you guys, like you mentioned that this, the storm has evolved. Is there a point that you almost want to say, all right, this is the finished version of the song. Like it's done. We're not changing it anymore. Or do you think it's better to have it sort of open to evolve? I mean, a lot of the things when you listen to the radio now, that's the done version of the song. They can't really change it. If you go to a live performance, they might do it slightly differently, but that, that almost upsets people when people, when artists do that, they change their songs for a concert for a live version. Do you guys think it's good to have like a completed song like write it uh produce it brainstorm and change it in any way you need and then say all right this is like we're cutting it this is this is the song or do you think it's better to have it fluid is there 
I mean, for the purposes of transmitting our message, yes, there should be a point where it's kind of like drawn in the in in the sand, where it's kind of like, okay, this is the official version. But I don't think a band should kind of say, oh, well, we're done. There's a bow on it. We can't touch it anymore because it's a constantly evolving thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're evolving and growing as people, and I think those songs can always be reinterpreted. You know, there might be a 2009 version and a 2014 version, but like a I mean, remix almost. Yeah, yeah, but then there should be a line drawn in the sense of let's capture that for now yeah. and use that version to tell people, you know, that emotional content. But uh, you know, but it should be open to interpretation. I don't think anyone. I, I don't think you should ever say never. Like um, the way that I approach a song and the way that I handle a song is that it's a living thing and so it will evolve and whether you like it or not like yeah we evolve as people and we grow as as people and so your influences might change and for the purposes of putting it on a cd obviously there's some point where you have to say okay like that's that's it yeah at least for now so that we can have this thing recorded and whatever your goals may be if you want to distribute it and if you want to sell it like you obviously have to have some sort of finished product but I think there's a beauty in, in, in having, um, a song that you can play live and like live, you can do anything you want to it. Um, obviously you don't want to take the essence away from the song so that your fans yeah. don't enjoy it anymore. But I think that you, there's definitely always room for interpretation or there's always room for some sort of modification to a song. Um, Jason Mraz said that the remedy, he's played it. Um, in various versions, various okay. genres, yeah. mm-hmm. various, depending on what he's feeling at the time mm-hmm. or the context of the show, mm-hmm. like right. depending on what type of show he's playing, where he's playing, what kind of people he's playing to, he'll switch that song up and he's got various versions of that one song. So that might be a good thing to take away from this too, is that like you can have um, a certain version of a song, but depending on the context in which you're playing oh. it, you can change the song to match the people. That's a really good point because if you'll notice through Jason Mraz's like career progression at the beginning, he played at, I think uh, Papa Joe's or Java Joe's Java Joe's in LA. And it was just him on his guitar. So his voice had to play a lot of different parts and the guitar parts had to be arranged such that it worked together with the voice as one big instrument. But then as he added Toka, the percussionist and he can harmonize too, then you're working with four elements. Yeah. And then to a point where maybe in 2013, he had a big band. And in that instance, he didn't have to do all those different things because the bass would fill in, drums would fill in and Mm -hmm. different elements. Right. So I think that's a wonderful example. And people who haven't looked this up, go Google this. Jason Mraz, jazz and him on his guitar playing jazz style in I think Jakarta, the jazz festival is amazing. If you haven't seen it, go Google it. It's amazing. There's a lot of guys like that, and I think it comes like it, it's a. It takes a huge musical talent to. You have the the melody and you have the lyrics of the song down. I mean, they're obviously in your head and you've been playing them for years. But I, like that also reminds me of John Mayer. He did a bunch of his uh, not the last album, but the one before that, uh, the one with Born something and like Olivia, Born and Raised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did a bunch of them in the like an acoustic, like just him and a guitar yeah. session. Something like Olivia was so yeah. cool. Oh my goodness. But it, they're yeah. not the same. Like it's, it's not the same as when you have a whole band, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, the benefit of all this arrangement and, but it's still 
he makes it so good. Like he adds so many intricacies to the song. And it's just guitar. one man and his yeah. guitar. Mm-hmm. But Ed Sheeran's another great example. Oh, Ed Sheeran's a fantastic <laughs> example mm-hmm. of that. Like mm-hmm. filling it out so much with just like one. In- it almost seems like they're playing more than one instrument yeah. at at the at that one time. Like yeah, something like Olivia is a fantastic um, example of that. Ed Sheeran is an, another great example because. When you see him live, I haven't seen him live live, but I've seen him on YouTube, his yeah. live performances, and he makes great use of a loop pedal. Yeah. And oh, it's amazing. And, yeah. he, and he does everything. He does the percussion on his guitar. He does the bass part. And then he does the main like melodies. He sings and his own then, backup. And then he sings his own backup and yeah. adds all those harmonies in there. And you're just like, how is this guy doing all of this just, just with him and captivating the audience? Yeah. And, and, and still making music with just a guitar that people are like really dancing to or bobbing their head to and really into like there's, yeah, there's so much, there's so, so much that, that you can do. And, mm-hmm. and again, like so many versions of the same song that, that you can, that you can do because when Ed Sheeran um, records his songs, he's got more resources. Yeah. He's hand. got more freedom. You yeah. have to be doing everything with the looping. Yeah. My lover's got humor She's the giggle at a funeral Was everybody's disapproval I should have worshipped her sooner If the heavens ever did speak She's the last true mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak A fresh poison each week We were born sick You heard him say it My church offers no absolutes She told me worship in the bedroom The only heaven I'll be sent is when I'm alone with you. I was born sin, but I love it. Command me to be well. Amen. 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 Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins and you can shop in your night. Offer me that
that I think is really good at slightly modifying his songs for live performances is Justin Timberlake. Cause he'll, cause he, he, he has at least right now he has the Tennessee kids, which is this sort of like big band behind yeah. him. And they do like sort of this gospel soul funk kind of thing, even to his older songs that were just strictly, strictly pop. Huh. Like his most recent albums have been, you know, they've had sort of classical influences and, um, and then also sort of like really, really cool um, Latin American influences and, and jazz and blues influences. But like when you see him live, I saw him live when he was last in Ottawa, um, they change things slightly. Um, and it's it's really, really cool. It's almost like a it's almost like a gospel uh, choir, like um, when you're doing sexy back and they add these sort of like gospel types of transitions or mm. things like that. I think it's I think it's really, really cool. I think it's a good way to keep the song fresh, mm. even just for the artists. Like if the yeah, artist has no played kidding. the song in the same version for years and years, like sexy back is one of his biggest songs. Yeah. And like, imagine having to play that song and like going to every show and knowing that everybody's going to expect you to play, to sing sexy back. And so even for your own sanity, you have to like slightly change it. Just to keep it fresh for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that artists should ever say, no, this is the final version of this song mm -hmm. because you're going to get tired of playing that song that way. Um, even the storm has been uh, one of our own songs. Have, it's like we said, it's evolved and it will probably continue to evolve because um, we might get bored of playing it the way that we play it and try something else. But um, so I, I think that songs um, are living, breathing things almost and, and that mm -hmm. they're going to, they want to be, experimented with almost i think uh, hmm. that's how i approach it anyway i i really like that and i like the storm when i first heard it i really liked it and then you guys tightened it up a little bit but i still like having heard the original version probably over a hundred times now <laughs> I, um, so you're the one person who's listening to all of our <laughs> well no when I, was, when I was editing the video for it like yeah. you have to listen to well, it over you have to and tell over the again. audience what, what video uh, the for? storm it was uh for the long mcquade music contest yeah. was that two summers ago now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was canada wide and i think we finished what top third like 37 or something yeah something like yeah, that. yeah something like that that was fun that was pretty thanks good for, thanks for voting guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I still prefer the, not the, not necessarily the very first version, but I prefer that version. Like just in my mind, it makes me happier to hear that version. Do you guys, can you, would you be able to play, say the current version, obviously you can play, but could you play that version? Could you go back or do you think it's like it, your muscle memory is now like on the new one? I don't think that's an easy question, but I'm curious. <laughs> I don't even really remember what was different about that one. Hmm. There are a few things that were that were different. Your guitar was different. It was less rock and distorted. Um, and it, um, we I, we definitely could. I think we definitely could. I don't know if we want to. Would it take, but would it take a lot of effort to like remember back, or did, I, did you, like probably, you think it would just come back? You start playing it. I don't think so. I I think that we've forgotten how to. 
Um, <laughs> but I think that if we listen to the way that we used to do it, yeah. then we'd be able yeah, to, it'd be almost at that point, like mimicking someone else's song, I guess. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It's still the yeah. same song and it still has the same arrangement, um, overall, but yeah, some of the ways that we played the instrument, um, notably, uh, guitar and drums are different. Um, but I think we could do it, but I just don't know if we would want to do it or, yeah. Like again, it depends on the context in which we're playing the song and the atmosphere that we're that we're playing. The well, song actually, in. that that's a really important point bring, you bring up because the atmosphere, right, the context, arguably, it, it, from from another perspective, every time we play the song, it's completely different. If I had a stressful day at work, or nerves are affecting me that day, or I'm a little bit sick, the, the presentation of that song in that particular venue, because of some sort of you know environmental factor, like they had, you know. Uh, vocals too high in the mix in the monitors or whatever would affect the, the the outcome of the song too so arguably every time we play it it's slightly different so yeah yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. i mean we've gotten a lot better about kind of controlling our nerves yeah. and getting consistent having you know pre-show rituals are very important for for me right. just to get back into that state of mind of okay i'm going on a stage just yeah. you know mm-hmm. i feel like in particular damien watching you perform it almost seems like you need to get a mic stand that is like either taller or has a longer arm because you're constantly, it seems like it would be very distracting when I'm watching you perform. Like you're constantly trying to like get the mic to agree with, like to understand what you're trying to do with it. Like you're trying to pull it closer <laughs> to you because it's too far because you're playing the mic like, keyboard at the same yeah. time. Yeah. It's, no, I, I think that that's just me not knowing what I want. Okay. Um, so it's not the mic's you It's not the, the mic's fault. Don't blame the inanimate object. Uh, it's completely, completely my fault. I, uh, for our last show at Atomic Rooster, which was a fantastic and fun show. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for coming to that show. Um, the first set, the, the mic stand was in front of the keyboard and it is, it's hard. Um, cause my keyboard especially is just like this big clunky thing that <laughs> I hate having to, to carry around and it's just, it takes up a lot of space. And so it's hard and it's awkward to get the mic close enough to me. And so when I went down and I spoke to the sound guy, his name was Andrew, fantastic sound guy. He was really great. He, he asked me after the set, our first set, like, how's everything going up there? Like, do you feel comfortable? Is everything sounding okay? And I said, well, I'd like to have maybe the mic closer to me. And right away he was like, oh yeah, I'll go fix that for you. And what he did was he brought the mic, not in front of me, but beside me. Oh, okay. And then he extended it and had it uh, perpendicular to me so that I, it was just kind of right beside sure. and in front of me, as opposed to reaching over this big yeah. clunky keyboard. I think that that, is just me not knowing like, Oh, that's a possibility. Like I could have it that way. But the other thing for our shows is that I, there are some songs that I play keyboard. There are some songs that I play guitar and I'm singing. There are some songs that I, that I don't play anything and I'm just singing and I want to take the mic and have it. And so I think maybe, maybe what I should invest in is one of those boy band headsets Um, (laughs) just so that I can have the freedom to move around. Um, but no, that probably won't happen. But, um, so yeah, working with technology is somewhat frustrating because you, you usually think about 
the songs and like yeah. the sets and what you're playing. You don't think about like the technical side to it. And yeah, then you no. Get up there and it's and like, oh yeah. I have to put this on the record is that we don't often give Damien enough credit for the stuff that he does on stage because oftentimes he's switching instruments, he's gauging the audience, he's trying to make sure that the distance of his mouth to the mic is yeah. adequate because each song requires a different, like the voice is yeah. a very yeah. particular instrument and to create particular effects, you have, your distance has to be right. And each time we're dealing with a different sound guy and different people approach that, uh, uh, art of setting up all these mics differently. Yeah. And so Damien's trying to sing, play, gauge the audience well, and do all of that. Yeah, too. right. <laughs> exactly. Well. So it's like 10 things at a time in a live yeah. show. Well, and we know. don't really give them enough credit for this. We just assume because we yeah. don't step on stage like, OK, Damien, take care of these 10, 15 <laughs> things and go. So well, Damien okay. does that well, pretty well. He doesn't. I mean, Bill just basically plays the guitar. He just yeah, I just, there. just I just like, stand <laughs> there. I plug in and I'm ready to go. Like so. It's no, not come on. He I think it was sometimes. No, but people. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that people may not be aware of those things. Those it's like uh, it's oh, a yeah, behind the scenes look at how yeah. um, complicated a live show might there's be. A lot. You know? There's so a lot. There's a lot to, that goes on. There's a lot that goes on, and, mm-hmm. and we always joke and make fun of me because. I forget lyrics sometimes to our own (laughs) songs, but it's mainly because there's a lot, like, like you said, I'm trying to watch the audience. I'm trying to make sure that they are um, engaged and and that they're paying attention and having a good time. And if I need to boost the energy, then perhaps I'll talk to them or I'll go like can physically interact with them Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um, something like that. Um, Or say some sort of corny joke to make them laugh or something, but that's very nice for you to say that, but it's just, it's what needs to be done. I mean, when people come to see a show, they shouldn't come to see just people for, in this case, uh, people playing music. They, it should be like an entire experience. Like um, I'm very comfortable with talking to people and trying to make them laugh and things like that. And I feel like that's the way that a show should be. It should be, you know, people, the musicians connecting with the audience and also, trying to make them laugh and trying to have them participate. It should be an entire like experience. It shouldn't just be sitting back and watching music. Cause you can just like sit at home and listen to music. Right. And what's Mm -hmm. the huge difference in like listening to music at home and listening to it in person. The only difference is that you're seeing the people who are, who are making music, but Mm -hmm. then you have to go a step further and a live show has to be an overall experience where you feel something while it's something that you can't get from just sitting at home and listening to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into, but it's not just me. Like you guys, everybody in the band contributes something to the live show. And <clears throat> when I see that all of us are having a good time, that all of us are having fun, then that makes me have a lot more fun. And then like try to transmit that fun to the audience who then gives it back to us. And then it's this, it really is this huge collective and relationship a, a live performance or it should be in theory yeah yeah uh you guys mentioned briefly technology and how it kind of plays a role in complicating a live performance or, or a recording performance as well but uh in the songwriting process do you guys use any technology i i know that a lot of artists these days especially younger artists are just like they'll grab their phone and record with their phone, like just a, either a lyric or, or a riff or whatever. Do you guys use any of that? Or is it just like more handwritten stuff or little notes to yourself? Uh, post-it 
technology for me is, <laughs> is is pretty good. I mean, I use the the default Windows recorder because it's the easiest thing. You just you know, it could be a three minute clip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I use the available technology that I have. Like, I have used my phone, but uh, it's whatever's available when when the inspiration strikes. It could be the post it that's beside me on the yeah. desk at work. It could be my computer. It could be a guitar. Like, it's whatever is close by. I don't right. know. I'm I'm similar in that I have this book that I that I write my songs into, and that's and that's handwritten. And as far as sort of the notes <clears throat> or the instrumental aspect of the song goes, I just rely on memory for that um, and and kind of go to my piano or my guitar and try and play it out and see and then write and write down the chords and mm-hmm. and even notes to myself like, okay, it'll get quieter here or it'll speed up here or something like that. But what we do have um, as a band is we actually have a database or a, a it's one working document where we have all of our lyrics for all of our songs and that's on Google drive. And, and we can go in and I've even modified lyrics through that. Um, <laughs> I have a really bad uh, rap for misremembering lyrics. Or no, <laughs> no. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes it works to like, Oh, that's even better than what he right. thought. Like than yeah. what I was saying, like what he thought I was saying so is better than what I was saying. Right. So songs do continue to be <laughs> no, because yeah. I mishear lyrics. <laughs> but, um, and, yeah. and what we've been doing for our last show, what we did was we were very diligent about um, what, and, and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hard situation, but, but, uh, writing out, um, in a word document or what have you, uh, the structure of the song and the lyrics and the chords so that everybody just has this overall sort of cheat sheet or this idea of what the song is going to be so that they don't have to rely on memory. Because again, like I said earlier, I have this idea for a song that I might not be able to, uh, to, um, communicate to the band as well. And I know what I want from it, but they don't know, like they're not in my head. So we last show, we tried out just writing out or I would, I would go through and just, um, write out the arrangement or type out the arrangements of the songs, print off those sheets, give it to everybody, um, so that they know what's coming next and what they're supposed to do where. Yeah. And that's helped because that helps with the learning process. If you have something, right in front of you that you can use. And then once you become comfortable enough for, for, for it, like um, with it, then then you don't have to use it at all. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're all busy people. The ability to capture something like that and put it out there in a more or less public space for, for the people that are involved to participate and add to it digitally is, is like invaluable. Like I've had, you know, guitar riffs set to drum tracks that I've shared with these guys and they are oh, yes. responding to it, you know, online or in person. But uh, it's certainly a tool that we can use more of for sure. I think so. Yeah. But yeah. The, so the, um, the challenge um, that I referred to earlier was that for these particular songs that we did it for, for our last show, <clears throat> the songs that, um, that I had written out, I hadn't completely finished or in my mind, they're still not finished. Like I, <laughs> I, I, and so um, it was tough because I'm trying to write out the entire song for the band so that they can get the instrumental part of it. Yeah. 
but I don't even know what I want from the instrumental part of it, or I don't know what I want from the lyrics. And that might also affect the instrumental part. Um, so it's tough because it's almost like you have to have the song completely finished before you do that. But some songs take longer than other songs. Right. And some songs I'm currently still working on. And I have been for the past like years, like two years, I've been working on some songs and some songs, some songs take you like 10 minutes. I think the storm, right. I think the storm took me 10 minutes while I was waiting for BL to come over and jam. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it's, it's, it's different. It's definitely a good thing to use for other members of the band. If you're a singer songwriter, then you don't necessarily need to do that just yeah. to maybe have your own, just like have it somewhere so that you don't ever forget. But it's useful if you're in a band because like we mentioned earlier, the way that we work is maybe some person comes up with the initial concept and then brings it to everybody else. So all those other people who weren't involved in the initial concept need to have some sort of reference point that they can use so that they can sort of expand on that and add on that. Um, so yeah, I think those are the only ways that we use technology um, other than just our instruments, right. which I suppose could be considered technology as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. One of the interesting things that I know I've learned and, and this is coming from sort of my entry in the last few years into the, the Apple Mac ecosystem. Uh, I've, I've played around with GarageBand. They have, I mean, first of all, they have a really good, good interface. Like it's great to record. Like I haven't actually, it's been a while since I recorded any podcast using GarageBand, but they have a bunch of guitar loops, a bunch of drum loops, but they also have virtual instruments where you can literally play, you can play the drums either with your fingers or you can set up which drums, like they have the toms, they have the hi-hat, they have bass drum and all, like all of these drum sets that you can just if you want either think things to be louder or quieter or more complex or simpler beats and you can like strum guitar. I've, I found it really interesting, not really knowing that much about music, just playing around with that interface is a really great way to hear quickly what works and what doesn't. I don't know if that, if, if there'd be any benefit to somebody who does know music, but like if, if I wanted, if I was sitting there, I don't know, like on a couch or something, and I wanted to know if a certain chord progression would work. Like I, I could literally, and I've done this, grab my iPad, open the, the virtual guitar and play 16 bars of that chord progression and see if it sounds good. And like, I, I don't have the technical knowledge to know if it's technically a good sort of chord progression. Like there are, there are at least loose rules you're supposed to follow or like that, that there's sort of guidelines to making a song that sounds good. But you can sort of play around and just, I don't, I feel like it's, it would be useful to me if I was a musician and I, like I, I've made some really simple songs uh, over the past year, just trying to see again, different styles. They have a bunch of different guitar kits and they like, you can add virtual pedals to the virtual guitars. Mm -hmm. um, but I assume that if you guys are either, if you have a melody or a chord progression or, or lyrics in mind, you BL would probably grab a guitar mm -hmm. and would just, play it out and record it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for me, because I prefer old school, mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm not trying right. to like shoot down the garage band or anything, but when you say you want to test an idea of, of garage band and you are a core progression, yeah. you play it. I would call Damien or in the next, you know, meeting with Damien, I'd say, Hey, here's my core progression. What do you think? So he would be my, 
like using your your, your kind of uh, musical buddies to okay. do that sort of testing. So I think mm-hmm. for me, that's more rich because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Damien's a fantastic musician. He has an ear for this kind of thing and I trust him and we have this relationship. So I think for me, that's how I would do it okay. if I were to test something. But I mean, I can always just record it and play it back to myself. Yeah. Yeah. At work, I if I'm at work and I'm thinking of a chord progression, then I'll sneak on to um, like a virtual piano. There's okay. a, like a online piano website, and there's and you can and you can play chords on this website. Yeah. And so, actually, um, the hero started with me at work because I was listening to an Arcade Fire song, <laughs> and I was at work and I was writing out on a notepad, actually some of these, some of these lyrics. And then I went on to that site to see if the chord progression I was thinking about would actually work. Um, because I didn't have a piano with me. I wish I had a piano that I could (laughs) like a a music room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, but the hero started out on a piano online. Um, that's where it started out. And then I wrote down the, the chord progression and then I came home and I played it out on my, um, real piano and uh, and it sounded good, and we went from there. Um, right. So yeah, I I've done sort of the same sort of the same thing um, because it like I mentioned before, like it it just hits you um, anywhere. So mm-hmm. you could be at work, you could be walking down the street, shopping in the grocery store, and it'll hit you anywhere. And if you don't get it down within a certain period of time, it's going to expire, and you're mm-hmm. going to forget. I totally agree with this. A lot of people have this concept, maybe uh, mis, mis, like a misconception that you know a lot of artists sit down and they go, okay, I have now 4.30. I have between now and five o'clock to write. But that, that well, I mean, maybe you have to do that at some yeah. points over your life, you know, but more or less for, I guess, me and Damien, at least, we're constantly writing. We always have a bank of ideas, of thoughts, of progressions or riffs or things right. that sound cool, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, are yeah. always floating around that mm-hmm. you want to. Cause you have to do it. Um, or for, for me, like, I feel like I have to do it when I feel inspired. Like I cannot force myself to sit down and create a song. Uh, I, I have to feel inspired. So it has to come to me spontaneously first. Sure. And then, and then I'll take the time to sit down and figure it out. But I don't, it doesn't work the other way around for me where I just have nothing and I sit down and it's just like, okay, let's, let's make a song. That's, that's how people do it, right? But, they just sit down at tables and make songs. Yeah. But that said, have you guys seen online where it's like a songwriting challenge where you write a song a day for a month or something? Yeah. Have you seen those? <clears throat> no, I haven't seen and that. And then you, but... po- you post your song on YouTube. I mean, it could be a really short yeah. song, a long song, yeah. but the challenge is to continue to write, to get into the habit. Jimmy Fallon had a bit for a long time, a segment where he would get audience members who uh, could play instruments. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but you get audience members who could play instruments, give them a weird and obscure uh, topic for a song, (laughs) give them about half an hour and they would go backstage and write a song and then come out and play it in front of everybody. And the people and the audience would like vote on whose song was better. Um, He, yeah, he had a, he had a segment on that. I don't know why he hasn't done it lately, but I thought that that was really, really, really cool because just to see what people come up with when they're under pressure and under like a very strict deadline. And um, I know certain bands like Mumford and Sons have, done this thing where they have the 10 
the 10 song game where you have to write 10 songs in 24 hours. And it's just sort of to keep their songwriting abilities going. That's cool. And uh, they challenge themselves. And actually one of the songs on Babel called Reminder was at a product of the 10 song game because Ted just went and just wrote the song and brought it to them. And they were like, that's actually a really good song. Like we should, we should use it. Um, and so I, I think that that might be a good thing to do too, just to challenge yourself, mm-hmm, right. just to see what you could do. And you might actually get some really good stuff out of it, but I never really sit down without any, any external motivator and just say, uh, okay, let's just, Fashion a song out of minute. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a challenge. Yeah. But it could be fun. I mean, it could be. Yeah. It's not, it could be a fun game. Yeah. There's a guy online. Um, I'm familiar with a little bit of his work, but his name is Jonathan Mann. And he, I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but there was a, at least, I think it was about a year. He was doing an experiment where he would sit down and every day for a whole year, he would just, he would create some piece of music, whether it was a song, whether it was uh, just an instrumental, whether like, he would just create some kind of musical piece and post it. Hmm. And I like, that just seems like the coolest possible. Obviously you have to like, he doesn't have a a stereotypical nine to five job. Like a lot of them, either he's doing jingles or he's doing uh, songs for ads or he's just like producing. A lot of people need little things or not. It's not necessarily a jingle or something, but they need music for something. Yeah. And so he does a lot of that. But to have that sort of thing where just every day you dedicate some time to creating something new, like you get 365 ideas in a year yeah. in addition to all the other work you're doing. Yeah. I just think it's really cool because it yeah. doesn't, doesn't take a lot of time. I think there's a merit to, to doing something like that because, you know, the way our brains are wired, the more you do something, the better you get kind of thing, right? It's yeah. like a muscle. If you keep yeah. it, if you exercise, you know, you're going to keep that muscle you know, nice and strong. So mm-hmm. we can liken it to as like a, like a songwriting muscle that you have to keep, you know, training. Cause if you don't, you're going to slip into, you know, a place where you're not able to capture that idea or thought. Right. So you might be walking down the street, but it's been like six months since you wrote the last thing and you're trying to capture it. But as you're trying to capture it, you don't have the, either capacity or the, you know, means to capture it. Then mm-hmm. you're in a, uh, that's less good. Mm-hmm. Do you guys ever get into a state of mind or have you ever been, I guess, maybe when you were first starting out where you're trying to write something and you're just like, either like, Oh, it's embarrassing to do this or this is just bad. And you get into a point where you, anything you can write is just, you feel like it's not good enough to share. Is that like, it, it's not really writer's block. It's just like good writer's block. <laughs> like nothing good is coming out. Does that happen? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. You sometimes you get this flow, you're into this particular emotion or feeling, you're writing, you're writing, writing, you're like, oh yeah, that's really good. And you look at it the next day, like that's not something I would share with Damien for sure. <laughs> too, too, like it's not going to fly. But that process of capturing it is really important because that's, again, that skill. You yeah. Know, but, I think the feeling you just described is the feeling that I have with every single song <laughs> in, the be- in the beginning. Like I'm okay. not sure if it's actually a good song, uh, not, I shouldn't say every song, uh, I feel that way, but a lot of the songs I'm scared. Like I'm, I'm scared because, uh, I respect the other members of Sons of Pluto deeply as musicians. And I, 
and I want to uphold a standard that we have. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, unless I, unless we're, we're consciously making fun of ourselves, like a song like retro up, which is just kind of like a song that's really, really fun and still has some clever words and lyrics to it, but yeah. it was just like really, really fun. I never really took it too, too seriously. Right. But, um, especially when like playing, cause Sons of Pluto existed for a couple of years before we actually started writing our own songs. A huge part of that was I, I didn't feel strong enough or capable enough to write my own songs. When I'm listening to people like the Beatles and Arcade Fire and the Black Keys and stuff like that. And like really cool songs. Like how do these people come up with this stuff? Like I could never write something as cool as that, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, uh, and, but uh, at some point, I guess actually it was a, it was a, an, another external motivator saying that we had this Christmas show coming up and we wanted to have our own songs that we could debut one for from each person at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, so, so at the time I was really, really, really into Mumford and Sons and I still really enjoy them for their songwriting and their imagery, but I was really into that. And that's when our, uh, my first song that I wrote came out. Um, but I was still very, very uh vulnerable because it's yeah you have to kind of put yourself out there yeah initially to your bandmates but then ultimately to the world like we now i don't think about it so much or i don't feel embarrassed about it when we play our songs live but definitely there was an anxiety there that first time because this is something that i've come up with and it might be something that uh kind of conveys my personal feelings and my fears and my insecurities, and then I'm just gonna let everybody listen to it. It's like <laughs> it's yeah. definitely you're bearing a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, um, but so yeah, there's definitely that initial fear, but that shouldn't that shouldn't stop you. I don't think. But before I bring something to the band, what I do is I just make sure um, that it's something that I could see Sons of Pluto actually doing. Okay. Um, that's sort of, that's what I do now. I don't really pay attention to how vulnerable I feel or mm. whether or not it's a good song. I feel like it's been long enough now that I know now if something is a good enough song or like BL says, like just kind of sleep on it and then come back to it. And if you still think that it's a good song, then it's probably worth bringing to others. But um, I have songs that I've written and BL and I were talking about this on the way here. Like I have songs that I've written that I know probably wouldn't fit with sons of Pluto. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've kind of kept them back, but, um, the initial thing is, can I foresee us playing? Can I foresee an arrangement, um, that would make sense for sons of Pluto to play the song? And then I bring it to, uh, the band. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if there are any listeners out there who are debating, you know, <clears throat> whether or not I should get into it, I'm a little bit shy, only know four chords or any sort of insecurity like that. My, kind of take on that is that write it down record it use what tools you have available use the progressions that you have available i mean and, and just get started with something yeah. no matter what it is you know you, you're only going to get better like you're going to be a little bit shy at the beginning or insecure but ultimately that's the first step in a journey of you know self-expression that is very 
you know, I mean, for us, very rewarding. So I would encourage you to just write it down and, yeah. you know, sing it to your close friends and see what happens. Yeah. Right. And if it sticks, it sticks. It doesn't try again, do something yeah. new. A lot of my songs, I, I test on my girlfriend, Becca, and, uh, she obviously sees everything, uh, <laughs> that I do through rose colored glasses, I guess. But, but, uh, but I test it out on her and, uh, see if she, enjoys it and if she does then then i'll uh i'll move forward with it so i would definitely say yeah play play the song to your close friends or family people that you know will be honest with you right um there have been some songs that she's like well i don't know like i can kind of see where you're coming from but like i don't know if that works and maybe you can like modify it in a certain way but um yeah i would i would i would do that you're it's gonna it's like when you write an essay for school and you need to get some, another pair of eyes to look at it to make sure that it actually is cohesive and it flows and it gets the point across and things like that. Like it's the same, same kind of thing. I think writing a song is, is very much like writing a story or an essay. Um, it has to make sense. It has to have some sort of flow. Yeah. And I would also push the argument just because I have a background in psychology that this ability to understand rhythm and melody is very much entrenched in being a human being in yeah. humanity. If you want to be yeah. that, you know, broad, because when you're in the womb before even you are born, your ears are there and you're listening, listening to mom's words, listening to stories, listening to music from the outside yeah. world. And there's been demonstrated evidence that prenatal uh, babies are able to respond to different sounds in different ways yeah. with their little wiggles or with their responses. And even after they're born, they're able to very quickly after birth, distinguish mom's voice versus dad's voice. Yeah. And the yeah. way they pay attention to different things, uh, auditorily speaking, is very, very developed and very, very fine. But at some point in our development, in growing up, maybe people got scared or shy. Yeah. But arguably, this ability to listen to something and respond is very almost primal. And so I don't think people give enough credit to themselves. Uh, and they go, oh, I can't sing. Well, if you can't sing, you can keep a rhythm. You can do if you can't yeah. keep a rhythm, you can appreciate it. There's always a way because I feel like this sensory thing with listening with to music and stuff is very innate almost, yeah. you know? So you've got nine months of practice before you're born. <laughs> and then you've had number of years after that yeah. listening and appreciating and playing. So I feel like people are a lot very, very shy about music. And I don't think that should be the case. They should yeah. participate in ways that they can, you know? Yeah. Sure. Cause it's such a bonding experience in music. It brings yeah. people together yeah. and you express feelings.
so unavailable Now sadly I know why Your heart is unobtainable Even though Lord knows you have mine You send me I'm crazy Cause you don't think I know you died shy though i i've been asked uh um whether it was at parties or you know what have you that to like can oh you're in a band you've written songs can you just take this guitar and play for us and (laughs) and i and i feel very shy and there was a recent thing where i had people over i had the youth from my church over and they knew that i'm in a band they none of them had had seen us play but uh, my piano, they were at my apartment and the piano was there and my guitar was there. And like, oh, why, why not just play something for us? So I played some songs and it's very, uh, I'm used to playing with three other people that I can share the spotlight with. And uh, not all eyes are going to be on me for the entire time. But it's very, very hard to play where it's just you and an instrument. And I forgot the words to songs that we played like a billion times. I forgot the words because I was so, so scared and I was so, so nervous about it. Yeah. You definitely feel shy, but people, people love you and they're going to, and they're going to, you know, be gentle about it. Or you, you just got to bring it to the right people. Like if you can bring it to people that you trust and people that you uh, value and, and people that have, that are stakeholders in your life in, in a different way than, than I think that, you know, you could get pretty good critique rather than harsh mm-hmm. criticism. Yeah. I mean, and by the time you're into like verse two, they get a gist of the song. Even if you forget one or two words yeah. or play yeah. a wrong chord, like you get the idea in very broad strokes yep. and you're able to kind of tap into where I was coming from, you know, like, your ears kind of fill in the gap there if you've messed up, I found. Sure. Especially with yeah. live oh, performances. Yeah, people always fill in the gaps. They don't even know that you've played something wrong. And yeah. when we listen to our own recordings, like, just what? Like, oh, that was bad. Yeah, that was really bad. And people are like, cheering at the end. I'm like, <laughs> okay, next song. You didn't hear that? <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys talk about sort of, it seems like it's really important to have a safe, kind of a safe space that you feel when you're coming up with new stuff. Just some kind of sounding board that you're not going to 
you're not going to get shut down for having a bad idea. People are just going to be like, all right, we'll try again. That one wasn't great. I mean, Goo Goo Gajub is a lyric that is now recorded and millions of people have listened to. Like, can you imagine bringing up like something that's not even English? Like, that's a very, very successful song. I'm the walrus. I think I am the walrus. I mean, perhaps, it's written to be ridiculous. Yeah, but perhaps all the Beatles were high at that time. Yeah. <laughs> and then said, and said, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. Well, and also John Lennon was a pretty prominent songwriter. Um, so maybe they were too scared to, but then maybe. it turned out, yeah. it turned out just to be like a classic song that yeah. I love. I am the Walrus and I don't know what it means. Actually, no. <laughs> sidebar, uh, Becca's stepdad, um, he got me for Christmas a, book on Beatles lyrics and the the background and like their meanings and things like that. I'm very excited to see if I'm the walrus is in there and to see what he's actually talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's a very, it's very, very cool gift. And seeing as we're talking about songwriting, I, um, in his little, um, note to me, he, he said, hopefully this will provide some inspiration. And, uh, so very thoughtful gift. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my life. And, uh, so I'm very, very excited to see because I'm excited to see how songwriting royalty, like the Beatles approach songwriting. Sure. Um, we have our own interpretations and our own methods that we've discussed so far, but, um, to see how perhaps the biggest band in music history, um, tackled their different songs. Their career was very diverse their career produced, I mean, some of the most influential songs ever. Like, you know, little, we've seen videos of two-year-olds singing Don't Let Me Down mm -hmm. by the Beatles, yeah. you know? And To this and day, they're like... They're still yeah. so huge. And Fantastic. I feel like they will continue to be so, so huge. And so I'm really interested and really excited to get into that book to see if I could apply some of the methods I'm going to stay clean I'm, and sober. I'm not going to, I'm going <laughs> to take any drugs, but, um, or use any drugs, but, uh, but I'll try and get as close as I can, uh, without, you know, straight yeah. edge. Is it straight edge? Straight, straight edge. Straight yeah. Edge, yeah. I mean, you mentioned their lasting impact. Who would have thought that this is the year that, uh, Paul McCartney and Kanye West would put out a song together. Mm. Song that they put out together. They just put one out. Yeah, they put one out together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? How have I not heard of this? I mean, kids on Twitter are like, oh, Kanye's going to do a great thing to Paul, this guy Paul McCartney's career. <laughs> like, I don't even know who Paul McCartney is. I know. So don't kids, even get me started. Kids, please don't. Google Paul McCartney, yeah, please. Please find out who Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison were. Like, please some do. Of the greatest minds in music ever. Um, I did not realize that, and yeah. I will promptly be going home and finding that and yeah. listening to it. Is it good? I don't know. I haven't even listened to it. I, I haven't. Just, it just came out. Or, yeah. or is it a Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder situation? Or is it a Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson situation? <laughs> where you have two greats in their respective fields that uh, kind of makes sort of a substandard pop song. I, I heard <laughs> that it was... Kanye West singing and Paul McCartney trying to get a word in edgewise. That was how I could oh. describe it. Just like everything else in Kanye West. Yeah. Life. Like, <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll all listen to it and we'll. Yeah, I'm excited about see that. How it sounds. Apparently, it's an emotional ballad, is how it's described. Oh, oh. interesting. Very oh, interesting. Look that up. Yeah. <laughs>
So, yeah, I mean, I guess the last we'll, we'll end on. At what point do you guys feel that it, you've written the song now, you've composed the melody, you've played it together. At what point is a song ready to debut? Like, do you do you ever get to that point or is it just sort of I mean, Damien, you were describing it at the short Atomic Rooster. You were describing having re- finished writing the song that day. At, like, at, is there a threshold that you get over? Or is it just like, all right, we need we we have this show, we got to play it. Like, it, does it change with every song? Is it? Um. So when I explained that at Atomic Rooster, it was because of this rule that I've set, at least for myself, that for every new uh, show that we do that we debut at least one new song. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose that's sort of like a broader sort of motivator for me to write because I, I was, yeah, I was working on lyrics two hours prior to the show because of this rule that I have set for myself that we do a new, at least one new song for every show. I think uh, once everybody's got, everybody in the band has gotten, sort of the gist of the song and they know where all this, the changes are and, and the, the structure of the song. And once the lyrics have been figured out, um, I'm all for just trying it out the next show. Uh, and if you need to explain that this is a brand new song that we're trying something out with, um, then that'll kind of prime people to be like, yeah. okay, well, yeah, let's Maybe give you don't them the benefit polished. of it. But, yeah. 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 But I think people so far have appreciated uh, new songs, especially there is a core group of people that come to every show. And that's mm-hmm. the reason why I set this rule mm-hmm. for myself was that for the core group of people that they don't become really bored by hearing the same songs right. over and over again. Um, but uh, so that core group of people, I think, will appreciate um, the song. Again, it's all about love. Like, I mean, the people that you're playing it to. Um, they're going to appreciate that you've written a song. Hopefully people can understand that songwriting is not the most uh, simple thing in the world. Uh, they can appreciate that you've put some effort into it. Um, but I, I think we've just been doing that, just mm-hmm. like making sure because we have a show coming up that we have the song ready to go and then, and then we play it. Which means for January 29th, we need to debut a new song. Well, that's our next I, don't show. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. You, you said the rule. Did, Damien yeah. said the rule. So now we got to come acoustic, up with something. It's an acoustic type show. So I don't know what acoustic type Keep it real simple. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to give some more details about this? Oh. So it'll be Thursday, January the 29th. Uh, between 8 to 11 p.m. at Deacon Brody's. It's a new pub that took over where the old uh, Mayflower used to be. Okay. The address is 247 Elgin Street, and we play between 8 and 11 p.m., no cover. So it be, should be a pretty intimate, uh, warm, kind of fuzz, fuzzy, warm, you know, nice. <laughs> yeah. Dead winter. So, yeah. Yes. Intimate show. <laughs> Damien's yeah. getting shy again. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. And, and- yeah, I always cool. like these ones because yeah. it kind of draws us back to our roots. I think without all the different, you know, technology really, because that comes for me is really important that our songs translate into this format. When you're stripped of all the kind of 
bells and whistles and at the core of it you still have a really good song i think that's a good test yeah i think it is a good test and and as a vocalist as well i like it because because um often i can focus on the vocals more or do something more with the vocals to compensate for not so much sound you know exactly and then then you can uh you can experiment a little more i know that we have sort of an unofficial uh, acoustic version of uh, Siren's Call or the Mermaid Song. Um, and I do a little bit more with my voice in that song because it's an acoustic song and because yeah. you can just do different things. It's And again, it's like what we went back to talking about. Um, just songs evolve and depending on the context in which you're performing the song, then you might need to do this or that. Because in that case, it's usually just me and you. So it's guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. We don't have the violin. That's a huge part of that song. And so vocals will have to kind of compensate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. But yeah, come out and see us on uh, January 29th uh, to see some of our theories we discussed here put into practice. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so where can people go if they want to find out more about you, what you guys are working on and Sons of Pluto in general? You mean for the event? Sorry. No, just in general. Just in general. www.sonsofpluto.com. And you can find us on Facebook. YouTube. Um, just type in Sons of Pluto. Yeah. Um, and info at sonsofpluto.com. Uh, for any booking information, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always looking for shows. <laughs> Always looking for shows. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And as sort of like a last thing, I would just say if anybody's about writing a song just do it just get over yourself and do it i think totally agree uh and just give it a try and you'll you'll get better as you go along um and uh i i personally and i'm not drawing any comparisons here but when (laughs) i went to uh i went to italy uh, a couple years ago i guess now and uh we went to a museum in Florence that has Michelangelo's David. And when we were listening to uh, the audio guide, there's in that particular museum, uh, the hall that uh, David is in is lined with unfinished sculptures uh, that Michelangelo did not complete before he died. And the audio guide explained that Michelangelo uh, saw when he was sculpting, he saw uh, he approached it as if the sculpture was already in within the stone and that he was only oh. re- revealing it. He wasn't right. making something, but he was revealing what was already there. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've tried to apply to songwriting. And I feel uh, that's what I was saying earlier is that I feel like a song is a, a live and a breathing thing. And that when we're songwriting and when I'm songwriting, I'm trying to do what's best for the song and and trying to get the song's message across and make and help it come alive kind of give birth to a song i guess is, is, right. what, I'm, yeah. is what i'm trying to do so trying to conjure up a really gross picture for people yeah, yeah. songwriting is like the miracle birth. of songwriting, of songwriting. <laughs> um yeah so i mean you're gonna find different ways of doing it and even by on a song by song uh, basis, it's probably going to be different the way that you approach it. But I would say just just give it a try. Have fun. And have fun with have it. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to put you guys on the spot a little bit here. And 
just before before we'll, we'll play some songs, but what percentage of of song ideas you have do you would you say make it to the final like become songs? Is it like half the songs you write? Is it like twenty five percent of the songs you write? Is it ten percent? Is it one percent? How many how many wow. ideas would you say you have for every song that gets like in total yeah. all my ideas? Yeah. Well, of all my ideas, there's a select few that I pitch, and all of those that I pitch, only a select few make it to the to the final stages, right? So, would you so, say it's like one percent? Is it like ten percent? Is it oh, I, I less than one percent of all my ideas? Of all oh, the post-its like, you've ever written, of all the post-its <laughs> I've ever ever written, forever and ever. That's actually a quite tangible way of calculating. Yeah, right? taking all the post-its and then calculating oh, wow. what percentage Holy of those post-its. Is like, it going to look like Bruce five Almighty? to ten? Five <laughs> yeah. to ten. Yeah, five, like ten five to ten. Like not a lot make it yeah. through all those cuts, but I mean, every idea can be massaged again, sure. right? Yeah. So none of them are ever ten. done. Yeah. Yeah. So. At the risk of sounding very pretentious, I would say about 80 to 85 percent. Oh, wow. I, I just because I I try and approach a song with Sons of Pluto in, in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, and I'm not saying you don't. Obviously, you do. But I uh, I, I don't know. 80 per, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I because I don't I don't. Uh, Beale's very good in that he can like come up with all these riffs and because he's quite a great guitarist and so he's got all these notes and and stuff in his mind but i i i suppose that my i'm i focus on certain chord progressions or something like that that might be easier for people to follow yeah. yeah and and so uh i think honestly it's it's probably because i'm a simpler song like i'm like uh uh he, I think that he's probably a little bit more um, complicated and deep rooted as a songwriter than, than I am. I think that's probably why is because my, the songs that I've written are, are simple, whereas his is probably, are probably on a And, a, and a not to level. say simple is, is like necessarily a bad thing either right. too. I mean, it takes a balance of both. Exactly. So I think that's why we work well together. I mean, yeah. Um, some of the most beautiful ballads, you know, Falling Slowly, if you guys know that song, is a very beautiful ballad. And it's what, C, G, and A minor? Yeah. Very very simple. But so beautiful. So, I mean, people shouldn't be scared to, and again, back to people who are writing songs, if it's simple, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you convey your message well, like, all good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, with that, I'll say, I'll point out you guys can find at rest of the episodes of this show at unwindmedia.com slash feedback. And uh, let's play some, play some songs. All right. You twisted our <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want you around Those pretty faces always made you stand out in a crowd Then someone picked you from the bunch One glance was all it took Now it's much too late for me to take a second look Oh baby, give me one more chance To show you that I love you, won't you? Please let me back in your heart Oh darling, I was blind 